Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Oh, hey, it's a coin from your birth year that you keep in your nightstand for sentimental reasons and because you feel oddly emotionally attached to it. Allie Ward, your internet dad. Back with another episode of the podcast Audio Programologies, in which we explore newology every episode. Hop into my faded Nissan and let me take you to an island to talk about rotting meat breath and big butts. But first, some thanks to everyone who's a patron and gives a dollar a month or more to submit questions and see behind the scenes photos and live streams. And that's all on patreon.com slash ologies. Also, thanks to everyone out there subscribing and rating. And of course, submitting reviews for this show which keeps it currently number three in the science charts. This little stupid show. Can you believe it? Um, I read all your reviews. I pick a just birthed one to read each week, such as, for example, one left by Don't Feel Like Dancing, who says, this podcast reminds me to take a moment to appreciate something. I've struggled with anxiety and depression for a few years, and sometimes it gets the better of me. But every week I get to hear about something new and hear someone who is so passionate about their work, even if it is obscure. Also, everyone else I've read your reviews, thank you so much for them. Okay. Does urology. The ologist themselves will get to the etymology of this ology. Be forewarned. Pleasantly, it involves backsides. Also, the entire reason that this episode exists is because I was just bebopping around twitter.com and I happened upon this person's bio and saw an ology I had never seen before. I reached out immediately and it was on. So they got their Bachelor of Science in Ecology at Griffith University and has been a park ranger in Tasmania, is currently getting their DPhil at Oxford University, which apparently is the same as a PhD, but Oxford likes to spice it up a bit. And they've been a longtime lover of carnivores. They have a particular affection for the Desiurids, like quals, which you're like, I don't know what that is. That's okay. We go into it. A Desiurid is also the endangered Tasmanian devil. Also, incidentally, this person has the best laugh in the universe. So they hopped on the horn as I clumsily fumbled my mic, getting set up, and we just dove into a shimmering sea of facts about their Tasmanian roots and marsupial nipples, beers you shouldn't drink, cookies you should drink, the most Australian way to have an afternoon, what Tasmanian devils smell like from both ends, Looney Tunes, Flim Flammery, the disease-threatening Tasmanian devils, why they're called devils, what you can do to help them, and how indigenous knowledge is critical to Australian ecology. All this and more with Qual Talker and Tasmanian Devil Angel, Dazzy Urologist, M. Dale. Can you hear me okay? Good. 
I can't. It's so good to hear your voice. Ah, it's so good to hear your voice. This is crazy. I know. I'm like so beyond thrilled. I cannot believe that there's an ologist who studies these animals. What time is it where you're at? No, you're on the East Coast. No, you're in, you're in Oxford. No, I'm in Australia. It's 8 a.m. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Did I not say that they have the best laugh? They have the best laugh. I was like trying to figure that out. I was like, are you in Tasmania? Are you in the UK right now? Like, who's where? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a, I had kind of an evacuation moment <laughs> during the pandemic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I bet. Okay, so how long are you back? How long are you back? Man, I don't know. I mean, uh, it depends. Oxford was kind of like go home and don't come back. So <laughs> I don't know. I might not. Right. I might not ever go back. I mean, I might. I will go back, but I mean, I'm not counting on it. You know. <laughs> yeah. So for the foreseeable future, you're home. Yeah, which is really nice. Actually, it's really good. I especially. Aww. I think it's like Tasmania has a lot to change right now, especially in the current political climate, and I'm really excited to be a part of that. When I clicked on your bio, yeah, I was like. Excuse me, a what ologist? I just was like that. That's like the first thing. Of course, I honed in on. If someone has ologist in their bio, I'm like, I'm sorry, you'll be followed, and I will be tweeting. You. And I looked it up, and I was like, fuck, Tasmanian devils and quals. Quals, yeah, and oh my God. and and things called fascagales and antichinuses, like dasyurid, like the most gnarliest animals let me tell you they're so cool just in researching like basic mm. google search of like what kind of animal is this and there's just this like thing that looks like a, like a cute little guinea pig feasting on raw meat and i'm like what is happening can you give me just a very rough description of what tasmania is like for people who literally probably think it's a fictional place <laughs> well it's so um, I'm going to maybe do some code switching here in terms of like referring to Tasmania. So the Palawakani, which is Tasmanian Aboriginal speak, if word for Tasmania mm-hmm. is Lutrawita. Um, and, you know, part of part of me um, being a non-Indigenous Tasmanian is that I feel a great responsibility um, to, you know, acknowledge the people who own this land that I stand on, that stolen land. So I'm in Nipaluna, which is Hobart, and Tasmania is an incredible place. It's like the the beauty here is amazing. So if you think about like we have these these plants called pandani plants. When I say pandani, you might think of like pandanas on a beach, but these things grow up in like moorlands, up on high mountains, and they're massive. They're like three, four meters high, and they've all got this big shaggy coat, like a big winter coat, and they're the largest heath plant in the world. We've got these massive like gum trees that are like pyromaniacs that like drop their leaves and drop their bark and they're the tallest flowering plants in the world. And then we have like incredible alpine tarns that are like have been formed through rocks cutting through glaciers um, and like magma and stuff. And like it's a very awe-inspiring landscape. Like you come to Tasmania, you, you fly or you, you, know, you take a boat in. And the minute you get here, I think you know, your world changes. I've never found a place like Tasmania. I've traveled quite a lot. I think a lot of Tasmanians kind of like, especially queer Tasmanians end up leaving. It can be such a scary landscape to grow up in, but like it draws you back. Okay. If you're like, I don't even know where Tasmania is. That's okay. We're not going to tell anyone. So Tasmania is like a heart shaped island. It's one of Australia's states. It's off of the Southeast coast kind of like where America's Florida would be. It's off the coast of Melbourne. It's about the size of Ireland 
or West Virginia. It's got a population of about a half a million people. And to the east of Tasmania is the larger patch of Earth that we call New Zealand. Now, because Tasmania is more souther than the rest of Australia, it is thus closer to the South Pole, so it's a little cooler than mainland Australia. It has all four seasons, which is more than I can say for Los Angeles. It's got ferny, mossy, cool rainforests and mountains and bays and beaches. It's gorgeous. But wait, did M mention that queer Tasmanians leave? Let's get into that. Tassie's a really weird place. I, uh, when I was growing up here, I just really didn't see, there was no one openly queer. It was really like, it was very, a very anti-gay landscape. Um, anti-queer landscape. Last year for Pride Month, we had a lovely guy called Alex Bond come and talk to us who works here at the University of Tasmania mm-hmm. part-time. And I didn't realize he actually worked in Tassie and, and we were in Oxford. And when he started talking about Tasmania, I just burst into tears. I've never, I've never seen a queer scientist. I've never heard of a queer scientist from here. It was like, oh. it was a very isolating place. And for a long time, I was like my, you know, I, you know, I was, you know, really super closeted. I went through lots of conversion therapy at my school and like, that's just tazzy. Um, but it's super exciting to be back here and like see things changing. Like it's a very backwards place. I mean, I love it. I'm not, I don't want to bash tazzy too much. Like I love this place. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful place and it's, and yeah, it's people like you who, who speak up and make it even better. Oh, well, I hope so. It's just, I, I feel like I want to be, I want to be that kind of role model for other queer people because it was just so isolating um, mm-hmm. to grow up here being queer and just like, it wasn't an option to be out. Like if you were, you know, I think I remember I told my mom when I was like seven or eight and like, bless her, bless her heart. She just didn't, you know, she was like, you need, just need to keep that quiet. You know, just oh. <laughs> like, it was just, that's just how things are, you know? Um, yeah. So, but not anymore. I won't let another generation of Tasmanians go through that. <laughs> Like, you know, like that's, it won't happen again. Don't mind me, just legit crying, but also Tasmania. Let's continue to look at its good. I could drive for like half an hour and then be in the middle of nowhere and wouldn't see a soul for weeks. Um, Mm. Like, and 20% of the state is a massive national park, which is an incredible World Heritage Site, which will be preserved for hopefully forever. We have really incredible like endangered grasslands. Like if you want anything, you come here, you'll find it. We have like these massive things called cave spiders that live for 80 years and they have what? sex for 24 hours at a time. Okay. And they're incredible. <laughs> like, <laughs> like this place has so much to offer and the history here is so rich in terms of indigenous um, and first nation people. I feel quite privileged. I've worked in you know, the parks and wildlife service for a while and I've been able to kind of engage with that a little bit as a non-indigenous person. It's just a great privilege being a Tasmanian. (laughs) I've never been. You have to come. It's incredible. I've I've never been to Australia even. Yeah, I've never been to New Zealand. I've never been down there. So I know I got to just like uh, go do stowaway on a freighter ship and just (laughs) find my way down there. It would be easy enough. I hear the coffee, Dananda, is amazing, too. Also, my accent is impeccable. No, it's not. And, y'all, the critters. Yeah. <laughs> and it, now, Tasmanian devils. Yeah. We have heard about them via Looney Tunes for oh, yeah. years and years and years. Yeah. And one question I got on Patreon, uh, which we'll get to Patreon questions mm-hmm. in a bit, but it was, like, are they real? Like a lot of people are not aware that they're actual animals. So can yeah. you tell me what one is? Yeah. So Tasmanian devils uh, are real. They're real. 
and they're spectacular. Uh, and they're just very <laughs> sweet little things. So in the Looney Tunes, this is my favorite thing to like, my favorite question to answer about them because, you know, in Looney Tunes, Taz is like this crazy kind of tornado-like animal that kind of like rips up things in his path and he's kind of quite like, you know, quite aggressive. But when you catch a devil in a trap, they are just the most smooshy little babies. They just sit on your lap and they just let you do whatever you want. They'll like, you can put your finger in their mouth to take, you can take a biopsy of their tumors. You can take blood from their ears. You can give them a little pat. And they're just so calm. <laughs> just, I mean, and a part of that is shock. I guess, but like when I first worked with them, I was like, oh, well, we're going to have to wear like massive gloves and stuff. And the, the the person who was teaching me was like, no, 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 they're really chill and just dumped one on my lap. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh my, my gosh. How big are we talking? Cat, dog, bread basket? What? <laughs> they're kind of like the size of a Maltese, like that kind of like, kind of like small dog kind <laughs> of size. Like they're not big. They're just, they're real buffy. They've got massive like buffy heads. Buffy? Buffy, adjective Australian informal, voluminous or puffed out, regarding the hair or sleeves, also means muscular and strong but stupid. Like chunky, oh chunky boys. So Dazzyurid is like the family that they're in, um, with mm-hmm. quolls and antichinuses and fascigales, etc. And uh, it means hairy tails. So they all have this really ha- these really hairy tails. Um, oh. But devils specifically store fat in the base of their tails, so they have these little, like, these little bit, all these quite big bums. Derriere extraordinaire. <laughs> that are really sweet to, like, you know, and you feel how healthy a devil is. Like, some animals, like a sheep, you might feel, like, you know, back behind its, or like in front of its hip bones, see how much fat it has. For a devil, you squeeze its little bum and you <laughs> see how, how, how healthy they are. I think it's quite sweet. Um, but, oh my god, your field work is like a badonk. <laughs> oh my gosh, it is. So That's cool. crazy. But they oh. they get their like they get their bad rep or their like their name devil from when invaders first came to Lutruita, Tasmania. And uh they have this you have to cut to a noise of a Tasmanian devil because it is otherworldly. And you know, I have I at our farmhouse we have um devils under our porch and when when you know when they're feeling particularly vocal and want to ha- want to have a little bit of a sing like it's like the devil has literally risen from hell and is about to eat your soul they have a really horrible voice are you ready to hear one having a bit of a sing i am it's like me at karaoke <laughs> yeah <Really> drunk <laughs> Actually, it is. It kind of does sound a bit like that, or like a cat in pain. It's. Like, <laughs> I mean, not you. Yeah, not that's not you karaoke. specifically at karaoke, but maybe just anybody at karaoke. I don't mean to hate on your karaoke. Me, <laughs> <laughs> but they also have like, if you look at a picture of them, they've got little like pointy ears. They look and so they look a bit, a bit na, a bit gnarly, you know. But and mm-hmm. their their ears are quite thin. That skin's quite thin, and when they get excited, the blood all rushes to their ears. Um, makes it makes it look like they have little glowing red horns, basically. So, oh my god! Okay, yeah. when invaders came, you know, for the first time, you know, in the eighteen hundreds, they they heard this noise, and they switched on a light, and they saw this, you know, pointy thing, and they genuinely thought it was a devil. And then imagine their surprise when, like, a little tiny thing came, you know, wobbling out of the bush. It's a size of a Maltese. It came and licked their legs or something. <laughs> <laughs> Like, did you grow up? I mean, you grew up 
maybe seeing them under the portrait stuff, mm. when did you decide, okay, I'm going to dedicate my life to science <laughs> and studying these little critters? I was really lucky that I had, I was raised by my granddad who, um, well, my granddad and my mum, and my granddad was an ecologist. He was a botanist and he always really encouraged me to like follow what I wanted to do. And he was, you know, he would take me out to sewage treatment plants and things to look at like, you know, plants and stuff. And I never, I, you know, I love plants and they're really cool. They're really, and a really important thing. And I, I like looking at them and I enjoy their presence around me, but that was never my thing. Um, but I remember seeing like devils and, you know, devils are a pretty iconic animal. They have been since I've been alive. Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of, the whole, like, I cannot tell you in that, in the Dazayurids, like there's so much cool stuff going on and like so little is known about them because they're quite elusive. And until the, the facial tumor kind of came around with the devils, there wasn't much research being like happening on them. It was like a very, they were very kind of all very neglected in terms of like, you know, in, in comparison to other, you know, other animals, like say that, you know, the counterpart in the UK might be a badger or something, you know, there's quite a lot of research focused on, you know, those kind of animals, whereas our little, carnivores get kind of neglected down here so um but they're and they're so special and seeing a devil in the wild like it never gets old like it's just oh i couldn't (laughs) i couldn't take yeah i'd be so excited (laughs) like it's always like it's fun seeing ones that you've caught before every moment is joyous in a way i mean yeah so i guess that is kind of what attracted me is that there's like there's not much research being done on them they're really interesting, like all all of the species, all of the all of the families there. So Tasmanian devils are marsupials. Yeah, they're marsupials. They have a pouch, um, which is called a marsupium. That's just, okay. That's just a random wanky fact for you. You should have a section called mm-hmm. Wanky Facts. You need your own <laughs> podcast called M's Wanky Facts. <laughs> oh my god, that would go down so well. Seriously, <laughs> let's talk. <laughs> Okay, so M's wanky fact number one is marsupial pouches are called marsupiums, and Tasmanian devils have them. But let's talk teats. This is one of my favorite facts about devils and quolls. Uh, I think also like the smaller Dazzyurids too, but so they only have four teats. So when they're born, uh, they've got a, it's it's true for all marsupials, all things that have pouches. They're born through the vaginal canal and they've got to climb their little way up to the pouch. Devils have four teats, quolls have six teats, but they give birth to 40 babies. So (laughs) 40 to 60 babies have to crawl from the vaginal canal out to the pouch, find their way to the pouch and get onto a teat. And only the four in the case of the devil or six in the case of the quoll survive. Oh my God. (laughs) I know. And then the mum eats the rest of them. Oh my God. (laughs) I know. Oh my God. That is ruthless. Isn't that crazy? Imagine eating your own babies. (laughs) Like a lot of them. All the time. A lot. Yeah. Like gummy bears. Yeah. Well, they're the size of a tic tac. Squishy and little. They're, 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 they're the tic tac size. Yeah. Oh my God. Like popcorn shrimp. That'd yes. be like if we had a bunch of babies the size of popcorn shrimp. <laughs> it would be. And then the ones that made your way to the breasts and they're the strongest yeah. one and the rest of you just like, well, you're too, too weak. And that's why maybe when they're adults, they're quite chill because they got all their kind of really aggressiveness out of the way when they were just immediately born, like elbowing their siblings out of the way to get to the teat. How are the ones that find the teat? 
yeah. the chosen four. Yeah. How are they not total assholes? <laughs> like you'd think you would have, you know, you'd think like only the assholes survive. Look, I mean, it would be, it is definitely, it's probably a combination of like, what time were you born? And also like, are you directionally challenged? Because if they walk, you know, the opposite way, they're going to end up, you know, on the floor. It's just luck. I think it's just complete luck. Like I don't really, I don't, I'm sure people really understand who wins because they don't get to, you can't get to the other ones in time because the mum's already, you know, had a bit of a, you know, a lick and <laughs> eaten them yeah. all. So, but yeah, oh, I mean, they probably are assholes. Like if you had, if you found a devil jelly bean on the floor and you tried to raise it, maybe it would be the sweetest, kindest angel baby you've ever met. Oh my God. <laughs> Can you imagine you're just born, you take a wrong turn, you wind up at your mom's butthole and she eats <laughs> Relatable. But yeah, I know it's so hard. It's such a hard oh, life God. being a, like a devil or a quill. Like if you start off on the wrong foot, like your whole life is really hard. Oh yeah, God. they all deserve book deals. Now, what know, about yeah. they're carnivores? Yeah. And so you think like a mom, mm. she's got to nurse these things, so she needs meat. Yeah. Do they are do they go straight from the teat? to eating like insects worms like mm. what happened so it's it's different so for devils they'll be stuck on there for quite a long time uh so that with the teeth like swirls in their mouth and they get stuck there for a while so they can they grow fur and they open their eyes and they kind of ride around on mum's back for a bit and they'd still be suckling though at that point but they should be trying them out on carrion like dead meat uh, like scavenged mm-hmm. meat they're pretty much like obligate they mostly like they like they are obligate red meat eaters. They don't really kind of stoop down to the level of insects like a quoll would. <laughs> like quolls, quolls mostly eat. Like, well, like eastern quolls uh, eat predominantly insects and stuff. But yeah, devils are not apt hunters. They've got... Oh. No, 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 no. They can't. They basically... There's a recent study was published about they put like cameras on devils to see what they do. And one devil tried to eat a wallaby and the wallaby got away and then it just stood there growling angrily, huffing and like getting upset with itself. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? It's like if you go to the fridge and there's like for the third time there's nothing like, there's nothing that you want to eat, you're standing, you get really grumpy. It's <laughs> kind of what the devil was doing, I feel like. It sucks. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, side note, if you're like me and you struggle to form mental pictures of southern hemispheric marsupials that frankly sound fictitious, a wallaby is about 10 pounds and kangaroo looking. It's a little smaller than a Tasmanian devil, but they're macropods, which means that they have big feet. And apparently, Tazzies are like, fuck, can't even eat this if it's still alive. So pissed. P.S. What kind of leggies do Tasmanian devils have? So they've got like their back legs, they're kind of like a hyena in the way they walk. They've got like really long back legs, so they kind of hobble. So mm-hmm. they can run pretty fast, like up to 25 k's an hour, but they kind of they kind of wobble more than run in a way. Okay, so I looked this up, and if a Tasmanian devil were chasing you to try to beat your ass, you'd need at least an electric scooter to get away. So GTK, good to know. And they're really just like scavengers. So they'll eat they eat a lot of roadkill. Um, when the Tazzy Tiger, the thylacine, was alive, they would have like eaten the remains of their kills. But mm-hmm. in their absence, they mostly rely on roadkill. So that's it's pretty it's a pretty chill life for a devil baby because your mum will just rock up, she'll just smell like a dead wallaby on the road and you know, she'll kind of just pull it off the side and you'll all start eating together. It's quite a family affair in that way. Oh. <laughs> now if 
If there is a marsupial that's been roadkill, I understand mm. that you should try to check it to see if there's a nibibus in there. Yeah, little babies. Yeah, you should always. That's like a thing that we're. It's almost like a. It's like a rite of passage as an Australian. I think you you check the pouch. Often in the pouch there'll be a little pinky, which is like a really little baby jelly bean mm-hmm. um, stuck to the teeth. It's hard to raise such small babies. It can be done with the right carers, but. Uh, you know, in mo- in lots of cases, there'll just be a joey just sitting, you know, by its mum or in the bush. So, yeah. But the other thing is because devils, they are endangered but and from facial cancer, but also from roadkill. Like around 400 devils die every year on the road because they scavenge off roadkill. And so it's really important that if anyone, if anyone, if anyone has many is listening to this, drag the roadkill off the road um, oh. so devils don't get hit by cars accidentally. Okay, Tasmania, maybe keep some taco tongs in your trunk and just do a little Good Samaritan carcass dragging from now and again. But stay safe, please. Now, Em has mentioned facial tumors a few times. And don't worry, we're going to get into what the hell is happening with these Tassie tumors in a bit. And Tasmanian devils are only in Tasmania, correct? Yeah, so they used to be on the mainland of Australia, but they haven't been there for about 4,000, 3,000 years. It's unknown why they're not there, but it co- that kind of that time frame coincides when dingoes kind of made their way to Australia. And dingoes are quite avid hunters. There was no land bridge to Tasmania at that time. So they would have been, yeah, they would have just kind of slowly gone extinct on the mainland. Oh, Yeah. And now what about quolls? Yeah. Which, by the way, I <laughs> thought at first was a quokka, which is a different thing. <laughs> By the by, so quokkas are those blisteringly cute little critters who are related to wallabies, but they look like a mix between a hamster and Tom Hanks. And as it turns out, are not flesh shredders. Yeah, but and how is like cute. a quokka is a carnivore? <laughs> oh my god, that that's horrifying. <laughs> yes, right? Like, like an evil clown kind of a way, like sweet and cute and then just bloodthirsty. Oh god. Yeah. But a quokka and a quoll are different. different. So what is a quoll? So a quoll is, um, so there's a couple different types. In Tassie, we have spotted tail quolls and eastern quolls. And they are like, they're just like devils. They're like, but they're they're actually psychotic. Like when you catch a quoll in a trap, you are lucky to walk away with your face still intact from that encounter. They're really quite, they're quite like manic animals <laughs> um mm-hmm. and they're they're quite different to devils they will actively hunt um basically they're like big cats we call them native cats actually occasionally and they're like big cats big long tails and spots all over them so the spotted tail quoll has like spots on their tails and the eastern quoll has no spots on their tails they kind of have like little mousy faces and like the tiniest little pink nose that you just want to boop but you know if you boop you won't ever you won't ever be able to speak again so you just have to resist so much to not boop the little snoot <laughs> oh my gosh so quolls have more of a temperament that we have thought was belonging to tasmanian devils yeah oh yeah that's completely flipped like yeah devils are the chill chill dudes and it's like and the kind of like really like aggressive cousins that just really don't want to be around you hi can you not please Oh <laughs> it's really strange but like and these things are like spotted tail quolls are quite big but they cannot they, they weigh about three to four kilos and they're not that big like they're really quite light but they can be kind of quite long but they can hunt things that are like 
you know, 14 to 18 kilos. Like I have, I remember once I was sitting by a river and I was just like watching a platypus or something and this spotted tail quoll just like jumped next to me and it had a possum in its mouth, a whole possum. And like these things aren't that big, but they can bring down like massive prey and it's just incredible what they can do. Like they are, I know devils are really kind of thought as the apex predator, but I would, I would put my money on the fact that, you know, spotted tail quolls are doing most of the legwork down here in terms of like actually actively hunting and killing things. Um, that story, the only way that story could get more Australian <laughs> is like if you were drinking a Foster's well, <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's such a blasphemous thing to say. Don't talk to me about Foster's. <laughs> I don't even know what people drink down there. I don't even know. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But that's like, all right. Sitting at a river watching a platypus <laughs> and then a quoll hops by with a possum. <laughs> oh yeah, it does sound quite Australian, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then a kangaroo came and punched me. <laughs> and a crocodile like the kangaroo. <laughs> That's a good accent. That's quite impressive. <laughs> I just can't imagine anything more down under. That's amazing. Oh, my God. I, I need to figure out what kind of beers people drink down there, though. I have to, like, I'll research that. It's like, it's like 4X, a lower-end beer, I guess, in terms of, like, price. But it's like, I don't know, we have, we have a lot of craft beer down here. It's quite impressive, really. When I was, you know, honestly, when I was, like, you know, a teenager, there was, like, one bottle O that you could get, like, one type of beer from. <laughs> And now there's like craft beers everywhere. It's a very changed landscape, let me tell you. I bet. Yeah. I bet. You have like uh, artisanal Vegemite. <laughs> yeah, man. I got back this time and there is like Manuka honey Tim Tams. I don't know, man. I'm not, I don't know. I don't want to hate on like growth, but I feel like that's a bit weird. <laughs> anyway. P.S. If you ever want to seem like a Tassie local, order a Bogues if you're in the north and a Cascade beer in the south. And bonus, Cascades have a Tasmanian tiger on the label, which is now extinct because of colonization, which is like a stage four bummer. Also, side note, a Tim Tam slam is when you bite off diagonal corners of this chocolate cream-filled wafer cookie, and then you suck tea through it, and then you jam the whole shebang in your shebang hole which sounds perfect if you need to warm up with a thermos of tea while you work in the chill of a brisk July. Southern Hemisphere, y'all. It's topsy-turvy. And now what about field season? Like when is Mm. field season for you? When is like mating season? And also let's talk about their little face tumors. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, I'm not doing field work right now. My kind of work is desk-based. I'm doing some, like, modeling of the facial tumor and stuff. So, But if you're talking about a life cycle of a devil, they're breeding about well, probably February to May, more like it. And their, their gestation is about, I think it's like 21, or it could be 51 mm-hmm. days. It's one of those. It's one of those numbers that ends in one. <laughs> Something 20 to right. 70 or 50 days. I don't know. It's very different numbers. But Okay, I looked it up. And for 21 days, they cook indoors before crawling out of her vagine and then dodging her late night munchies and beating dozens of siblings to make it to a teat. And then they uh, stay around with mom until about like summertime here. So that's like November, December. So they stick around with mom for quite a long time, really, um, mm-hmm. while they're growing in the pouch, obviously, and then they're kind of learning how to be a devil. Um, 
And so by December, they're all really trying to find their own homes. So devils aren't territorial. They are solitary, though. So they're not territorial in the way that you might think of, like, a lion being territorial or, like, I don't know, um, even a quoll being territorial. They they do use latrines, so they'll, like, they'll all poop in the same place and they'll communicate by anal gland secretions. So they have little, like a little dog, they have little anal glands on the side of their bum holes. And when they poop, <laughs> they, they kind of secrete a substance that kind of communicates different olfactory cues to their mates around them. But they don't have mm-hmm. like territorial, territory boundaries, but they do like being kind of in their own space. So in December, little dudes will kind of start walking around trying to find their own homes. And that's kind of, it's, it's kind of, not opportune it's good for them because there's a lot of food around and easy food and a lot of things are dying as well like they're getting older and dying so it's kind of easy prey but there's also a lot of people on the roads because summer everyone's going out to their shacks or to the beach or up to the bush um so we get a lot of devils dying on the roads young devils which is a a shame because they haven't even got the chance to start breeding um, and they haven't even got the chance to survive the facial tumor yet. So we use a lot of devils, young devils, every every summer because they, they move around dusk and dawn. And it's hard to see them because they're jet black, basically, you know, lesser little white stripe on their bum and a little white stripe on their chest. So it's really hard to see them. And if you're kind of doing 100 k's an hour down the highway and a little devil's feasting on a dead wallaby in the middle of the road, you're not going to you're not going to see in time. So no. there's like a, a big push to, for people to kind of really slow down at dusk and dawn because it's unnecessary death. We can't really afford it at this point. You know, we lose yeah. so many devils too. Here's a segue to the facial tumor, which is yes. <laughs> so it's um it's called Tasmanian Devil Facial Tumor Disease or DFTD, um, mm-hmm. and it came. It was first sighted up in a place called Narantapu in 1996, and it's one of only two mammalian transmissible cancers. The other one is like, like a really, really old dog penis cancer. Did you expect to hear the stack of words, really old dog penis cancer served up into your ears like a club sandwich today? No, no, you didn't. And if you're a dog with a dick and you get canine venereal transmissible tumor, how do you deal with it? Well, according to the paper, Diseases and Surgery of the Canine Penis, a dog dick doctor would recommend partial or complete penile amputation, depending on the tumor type and location. So aren't you glad you're not a dog? So is everyone, except maybe Tasmanian devils. What we think happened, it's hard to tell, but what we think happened is a female devil up in the northeast of of the state got cancer and through their behavior and also their low genetic diversity it's been it's spread throughout the state so every time i say behavior they are quite gentle with people and that could be you know an element of shock and stuff but amongst themselves they they are quite grumpy they don't have really good eyesight they mostly use their smell and their hearing and their really long whiskers to navigate the landscape and also because there's not much carrion there's not much food to eat really i mean it's mostly roadkill things will die you know naturally or there'll be a dead sheep in a field or something but generally there's not a lot of food around so they all have to kind of share and they don't really they're they're solitary they don't like sharing they're being forced now more than ever especially as humans encroach on their habitat more and more they're being pushed together um, and having to eat together 
Um, and so when they're eating, they're all kind of they're all kind of going a bit crazy. They're getting a bit excited. It's like if you walked into your favorite restaurant and you saw a big <laughs> plate of pasta and you were like, "I haven't eaten in days," and you just start crying. And you're like, you know, you're all racing towards all your friends haven't eaten for days too, and it's all your favorite meal, and you all start racing towards it. And you get a bit grumpy, you know. It's natural. Let go of my ego. <laughs> it's normal. Yeah. I would fight over pasta. They would fight over, you know, yeah, dead possum. Absolutely. <laughs> So, especially when you're like, I made it to a tea, I'm gonna make it to this dinner. <laughs> yeah, I be I, my brothers all got eaten by my mom. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I need to eat this. Wait, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, okay, fleshy cancer knobs that kind of look like you skinned a plum and it bore its way through their cheeks, eventually killing them and breaking my heart a thousand times over, aka Tasmanian devil facial tumor disease which let's be honest, should be called TDFTD, but it's none of my business. Anyway, they get bitey with each other because of these long brunch lines and also because they get horny. And if they get too close to each other, they're, they're, they're naturally they just kind of bite each other on the face. But what that means is probably what this female did is she had this cancer. She bit another devil on the face and then the cancer transmitted through that. And probably because they're quite closely genetically to each other. Um, mm-hmm. They run through quite a few bottlenecks, even prior to invasion, climate change has, you know, over the millennia has made them shrink and grow and shrink and grow. So, and then obviously post-invasion, there was a lot of, of bounties out on their heads like Tasmanian tigers because mm-hmm. of the myth that they were eating their sheep when they couldn't hunt a sheep. And they've grown steadily since then um, until about the 90s and they've, they've declined quite rapidly with this tumour. But the interesting thing about it is it's a clonal cell. So um, and I want to say here, I'm not a cancer researcher. I'm just an ecologist. There's a lot of research out there that I'm not privy to, but from what I know, it's it's clonal. So when you biopsy the cancer cells, it's got the female devil, the first female devil cells in it, not the devil host cells. So, oh, okay. Yeah. And then... Wow. So there's... And they're so rare. These are like, transmissible cancers. I said there's only this one dog penis one. And the mm-hmm. devil. But then in 2014, a second strain of the facial tumor showed up down in the south of the state, which oh. has male genetics. So it's a whole, it's almost like they've been struck by lightning twice. So they had this first one in oh 1996, God. and then a second one emerged, and they're two different strains. You can tell because of the DNA of each of the strains. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, we've lost like, you know, there's been declines of up to 95% of devils in some area areas. There's there's probably less than like probably 10,000 to 20,000 devils prior to DFTD kind of happening. We would have had like, I don't know, 250,000 devils. Something like this. It's wow. a lot, a lot of deaths really. And it's almost a hundred percent mortality rate because what happens oh, is it, they get, they get it on their mouths and they can get it elsewhere. Oh, they don't buy it anywhere else really. But if they did buy yeah. it somewhere else, it would, it would infect there, but it's very facial facial uh orientated um but basically it means they just starve to death over the period a period of a a year or so like slowly um so it's really sad and horrible we've had no examples of vertical transmission we haven't ever seen a mum pass on it to her babies but we have seen examples of say where uh, like a devil might have facial tumors like have been like different tumors from different individuals so say they might have been oh, wow. bitten three or four times because the cancer is quite a stable cancer but it has mutated and it will mutate within an individual so while it will still have the same genetic kind of composition of that first devil that had it in 1996 or the one in the south in 2014 it does mutate so you can tell 
if an individual has just one tumor that's spread or multiple different tumors. So that's kind of the basis of it. But there is there is some hope. Like, I mean, it's incredible. Like, the amount of attention that the devil's got with this, like, for, through cancer researchers, through ecologists and biologists, it's been an incredible effort to help them. Um, we're still, we still don't have any kind of cure. But what we have found is there are individuals that have recovered from it. Nice. Oh, So they, wow. without any human intervention, they've reduce the cancer in in some way themselves probably due to some kind of immune response so there have been like a few examples of devils kind of shrinking their own cancers in a way which is badass as hell yeah for real (laughs) yeah they think that a vaccine is possible i think they're working on a vaccine there's the menzies institute here at the university of tasmania is like working great guns to uh to find a cure for it So Dr. Bruce Lyons of the University of Tasmania has said of the vaccine work that they're doing there that their research has found that, quote, the devil's immune system can, in certain circumstances, eradicate the tumors. But the next step is to connect the dots to hopefully produce a single shot vaccine. And he says, we've still got a bit of a way to get there. But compared to the history of tumor immunology and human work, the achievements with devils in the last 10 years are outstanding. So that's promising. I mean, If they would just stop nipping at each other while eating or having sexy times, which is also how those face bites happen, then they would be fine. But it's not like you can just hand out informational leaflets near wallaby carcasses. You can't stop a devil from being a devil. (laughs) So, yeah, um, you can't quarantine them and say like, hey, (laughs) no one bite each other. Well, the thing we have tried that they have been quarantining devils on an island offshore of Tassie. They've put a lot of devils on an island called Mariah Island. Why are you so obsessed with me? Mm-hmm. I think it's Palawakani name is Wukalu Wikiwina. They have about, I guess, oh gosh, I don't want to say a number. I'm going to say a number and then but bloody wrong but it'll be like like 300 devils there now and they're very genetically diverse devils there's no roads there like the only people that have cars there are the rangers there's no cancer so it's it's like an insurance population but it's also like it, it kind of can feed into the main population too because if you can create more genetic diversity offshore and then bring that to the mainland of tassie you can maybe kind of increase diversity enough that the cancer Mm -hmm. becomes less of a problem is kind of the aim there. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And an island full of tassie. Tassie devils. They're so, oh, my gosh, they're so cute. They have, like, when you first get off the boat there, there's, like, a little, like, grotto, a creche of devils where all the mums kick their babies out to. All these little baby devils running around. It's so cute. They're so sweet. Oh, Oh my God. (laughs) Can I ask you Patreon questions? Yeah, go. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, we got 1,000 questions about um, the Looney Tunes character. <laughs> and we also just got 1,000 questions. Ah, but before we get into your howling, screaming, blood-filled, and adorable questions, just a quick word about sponsors who make it possible for us to donate to a cause of each ologist choosing. And this week, M had two great ones, so we're splitting them, with some going to the Save the Tasmanian Devil Appeal STDA, which delivers funds to research and monitoring programs in response to devil facial tumor disease with its key aim to keep Tasmanian devils sustainable in the wild. And M would also really like to shout out and support Fire Sticks Alliance Indigenous Corporation, which aims to create a resilient social and ecological landscape through cultural fire and land management practices. And M said, obviously, Australia has been hugely impacted by fire in the past few years, and Fire Sticks supports traditional custodians in maintaining and building fire knowledge and practice, and it helps affected communities to heal 
in the aftermath of recent and future bushfires. So to learn more about traditional fire custodianship, you can check out the film Returning Petrula on Vimeo, which I'll link in the show page on my website, along with those two charities. So donations are made possible by the following sponsors, which you may hear about now. Ologies with Allie Ward is sponsored by Squarespace, and Squarespace has been part of my daily life for the last seven and a half years. Ologies might not exist without Squarespace. I had to make a website for this, and I was so intimidated. It took me over a year, and then one night I was like, you know what? I've heard about Squarespace. I'm going to try it, and now look at us. If you don't think you need a website, guess what? You probably do, especially if you're an academic. Have some place where all your papers are. People can contact you. Anyway, they have so many tools for entrepreneurs. They have Fluid Engine, which is this kind of next generation website design system. It's from Squarespace. It's drag and drop technology. You can use it on desktop or mobile. They also have an asset library so you can manage all of your files from this central hub and then you can use them across the whole platform. They have professional website templates. They have designs for every category, every use case, no matter what you need a website for. Get a website, start your business. Look, it worked for me. Ding. So head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash ologies to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. You can do it. You can do it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. So is my brain. Here's a thought experiment. Think of all the time that you spend just scrolling on things or not doing the things you want to do. I know, time is the most valuable thing that you have. Boy, let me tell you, I had to learn this over time. You know what helped? Therapy. Therapy can help you figure out what matters most to you and how to prioritize it so that you like your life more. And where I learned that was better help. Because yes, I have been a client. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, I know how hard it is to get started. BetterHelp makes it very easy. It's entirely online. It's convenient. It's flexible. You take a quick questionnaire. They match you with a therapist. Instead of just Googling and trying to find someone with an opening, BetterHelp makes it very accessible. And I like that. It's also more affordable than traditional therapy. And you can chat. You can text. You can do video calls. You can do phone calls. For some reason, you are not vibing with your therapist. You can switch at any time. No extra cost. No drama. So let me tell you. Time is precious. Figure out where you want to spend yours. And you can learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. So that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ologies. It's about time. Okay, here's how I like my clothes. I like them classic. I like them well-made. I like them comfortable. And I like them ethical, which is why I flipped when I first heard about Quince. So Quince partners directly with these top factories. So they cut out the cost of the middleman and then they pass the savings on to, obviously, you. They have these 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters that start at 50 bucks. They have organic cotton sweaters. They have washable silk tops. They even have 14 karat jewelry in case you were looking for a present maybe for yourself. So Quince items are priced like 50 to 80% less than similar brands. But Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. And I like that their styles are well-made, well-cut, but also classic. I did not own a cashmere sweater before Quince. That was the kind of thing that I would splurge for for other people, but not myself. But I was like, you know what, Quince? I think I shall. So indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash ologies for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash ologies. You look amazing. How you doing on that D, that vitamin D? 
could be better. I feel ya. Some of us are coming out of a winter. I don't know how much outside time you get. I don't know how your vitamin D is dietarily, but I know a lot of people, including myself, especially women over 18, 97% of us not getting enough vitamin D from our diet. Rituals like, how about I help you? They're a clinically backed multivitamin. So skeptics, here's a multivitamin that's like, yeah, we use science to formulate this. I think you're gonna like it. Ritual multivitamins are vegan. They're gluten and major allergen free. I also like that Ritual is a female founded B Corp. So they're doing good for the health of people and the planet. Ritual multivitamins are also gentle on an empty stomach. I like that when I open mine, they have kind of a minty essence. I've got Ritual vitamins in my belly right now, to be honest. I take them every day. They have kind of a lava lamp look with oil and beads inside. I also have their melatonin caps at night when I need to go bye-bye Z's. So no more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. And get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash ologies. So start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. So that's ritual.com slash ologies for 20% off. Okay, your questions, patrons. And so I'm just going to kind of like lightning round you. Yeah, go. Um, okay, Ashley Curtin question that's on all of our minds. What's the goss on their love lives? Do they mate for life? Do they have a family lifestyle? Do mamas have flings and then raise the babies alone? Like, let's hear the juicy deets. Juicy! Okay, so devils, like a lot of animals, they're really like, they're quite promiscuous. They definitely don't mate for life. They definitely have multiple different partners. And in fact, a a baby set can be from multiple different fathers. So um, it just depends on, you know, which, which sperm is the fastest kind of and like which is the most virile i guess but yeah they'll just mate with anybody the breeding season's quite a noisy time they're very like <sighs> you know if you want to sing i guess they're just so funny like if you just hear that their noise they make and imagine that that's either like them like being happy to see food or being happy to see someone they want to have sex with it's like <laughs> it's like kind of the same kind of noise I and mean, they have a, they have a large vocal range um okay. and they definitely do like they, they, they have olfactory, like, scent cues, but they also do make a lot of noise and being like, I am ready to have a baby. <laughs> so a lot of noise, a lot of, like, a lot of courtship, a lot of singing. But, yeah, no, it's all very, like, males will just mate with anybody. Females will mate with anybody. It's all, it's all kind of like, it's a big free love kind of fest out there. Oh, yeah. it's very much like spring break. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of boning. Oh, yeah. A lot of noise. A lot of noise. <laughs> Um, Julie Bear, on that note, says, sorry, but the dong question is compulsory. Do they have multi-headed dicks like other marsupials? By the way, uh, oh. me, Ali Ward, did not know that was a thing. So, yeah, they, they, I don't know. I'm gonna, they, definitely marsupials do have, like, echidnas, I'm pretty sure, have three-pronged dicks. Um, which is in cra- crazy, right? What is that for? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I did not. Two bonuses, <laughs> just in case you lose one. I got a couple of backups. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm just Googling Tasmanian devil penis. I don't I don't know. Uh, it's a picture here on, I'm going to get some kind of, oh, it's a four-headed penis. Wait, wait, wait. Well, oh my goodness. It sounds floral. Look, of, it looks kind of just like a generic penis, but... Um, <laughs> Doesn't seem that that crazy. All right, I'll Google. Okay, you should Google it because it's yeah. I don't know. It just yeah. Oh yeah, I'm gonna yeah. Google. Don't worry, there's gonna be an aside on that. <laughs> okay, so yes, dude, echidnas have quadradongs partly because the females have a vagina duo. And from what I was able to Google on the phallus of Tassie, it looked kind of like a sleepy earthworm. So let's meander casually over to butt smells. 
Julie Bear also wants to know, what would be more pungent, the spray of a tazzy or Pepe Le Pew, a skunk? Huh. Well, they're not stinky. So I associate devils with what we do. We trap them in these big PVC pipe things that are kind of circular because it kind of makes them Mm -hmm. a bit more comfy. And then we put them in a Hessian bag. So I kind of associate the Tasmanian devil with the smell of a Hessian bag. That's a burlap sack, America. And oh. and so it smells quite nice to me when I think of what a devil smells like. And then also when I go looking for their poop, like it's like really quite, it's kind of pleasant. Like I've worked with a lot <laughs> smellier animals, like quolls are pretty smell. This, the thing is their faces do smell like rotting meat. They don't, oh. they don't spray you like a skunk. They won't like skunk on you or whatever, but they do mm-hmm. definitely smell like rotting flesh. Oh. So... It depends what you're, what you're into, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Associations yeah. run strong. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? If it reminds you of being out in like hiking boots in the world, doing the work you like, rotting flesh is like, mm, it's you know. not. It's kind of like, it's kind of like relaxing in a way. Well, on that note, Ella Sugarman wants to know what shape are their poos? I'm hoping for cubes, but that is a wombat, right? Yeah, wombats have cube poops. And I think mm-hmm. recently someone just found out it's because of how their colon is shaped, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Hey, quick question. Are you eating? If so, skip ahead about like a minute and a half. Just to, just to warn you. Um, so devil poos are pretty pretty just generic carnival poo. They have like, they're quite long, like almost like a, <laughs> they've got like tapered ends and they're often joined in the middle by hair. Cause they, eat, they eat everything. <sighs> like when I say a Tasmanian devil like is a bit of a grot, a grot, they are. They eat bones, they eat teeth, they eat eyes, they eat hair, like everything. I remember once we put out a kangaroo carcass just because there was a kangaroo around the farm and it had passed away. So we put put it out. I wanted to see what would happen. And the next morning it was, there was the bones and the next day there was nothing. Oh my God. <laughs> like they, so in, in that way, the, the Looney Tunes character is correct because they are like a tornado eating food, but you mm-hmm. know, um, so no, their poo just, it's not that exciting compared to a wombat poo. They have, yeah, it's just like, a lot of hair. It's like it's great. Yeah. It's like, um, like sausages. Like sausages, and it, it, you can see bits of you know. Often you get like if they've eaten like a little wallaby or a little like patty melon, they'll have a whole jaw inside their <gasps> inside their poop because their jaws are so small. And it's like th- getting a Tasmanian devil poo and fine and like going through it is like my favorite thing. Like when I go out on a walk <laughs> and I smell devil poo, I like I'm down there like Gollum. Like fingering it, like breaking it up in my hands, and all these other bushwalkers are walking past me like I'm some kind of real creep. But it's like they don't know, they don't know what's in. It's crazy. I'm holding liquid gold, basically. It's like everything I could ever want is inside this poop. <laughs> they don't know that you're a desertologist. <laughs> oh, you thought scientists were normal, boring people? No, no, not at all. That is one giant falsehood. Oh, flim flam. I didn't oh, yeah, ask. Like, what's, what's the biggest myth about Tasmanian devils? Like, how did I not ask that already? I think the biggest myth we've already got, gone over. The biggest myth is obviously that they're grumpy and they're really just not that yeah. grumpy. I think that <laughs> that's kind of the biggest thing about devils. I think there's a lot of, like, talk about them being, like, real, like, apex predators. I think that's a bit of flim flam, too. I think there's a lot of, you know, I think we don't give quolls enough attention. They are really the ones doing the heavy lifting in our ecosystem. So they're the ones <laughs> kind of, like, equalizing everything. I mean, devils are important. I fucking love devils. But, like, I think we don't give quolls enough, like, kudos because, like, man, they are doing 
you know, God's work. I'm not religious, but if I was, I would be core religious, you know? <laughs> One nation under core. <laughs> I think the biggest thing that I think you've already got, I, think I can't think of anything else. Um, Maybe no, that's a yeah, good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, and Cameron Simpson has a question. What is up with their hair coloring being white below their necks? Is it random? Mm. Is it unique to Tasmanian devils? Does it serve a purpose? As opposed to quolls, they have those spots, right? Yeah, so quolls are kind of, when you see a quoll in the wild, which is hard to do because they blend in so well, it's like they're, they're kind of rusty color or the black or the fawn. And the, the spots, they break them up in the landscape. They look like leaves, basically. Whereas devils, yeah, it's really, really, really rare to see a carnivore who's black and white. It's such a weird stark coloring choice. And we do get devils that are just 100% black. And we do get devils that are like have like almost quoll-like spots. It's very rare, but we do sometimes get devils with a lot of white on them. There's been a lot of like talk about what it could be. It could be for like defense, like, you know, a big white, you know, a big white kind mm. of band is kind of quite st- like startling to another devil. And then they have, if they have a big white band, they'll have a matching one on their bum. So it's almost like you can't tell which end is which. Maybe it's a confusing thing. Maybe it's like, is this my fat bum or is this my chunky, yeah. chunky head? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I guess because they, they are nocturnal mm-hmm. uh, or crepuscular, they kind of blur the line between being active at dawn and dusk or overnight. You know, being black probably helps them. Um, mm-hmm. But also they don't have to blend in that well. They don't, nothing really hunts them. I mean, that's probably why the dingo did kind of, decimate them so badly because they are quite apparent yeah and that's that is one of like feral dogs like loose dog packs here are a really big issue because mm-hmm. uh they are quite starkly obvious to you know a predator yeah. oh and one more question uh yeah, yeah. from a patron jolie brown wants to know how adaptable are tasmanian devils and quolls to climactic change and other yeah. changes to their environment like heavy rainy season and drought stuff like that that is a incredible question because not very well <laughs> So they're okay. quite hardy things in like other situations. Like as I said, fire, not a problem. Like, you know, brush it off, shake it off, Taylor Swift. It's like they're kind of fine about like like those kind of more natural events. Climatic changes, no, they cannot deal with it. So devils, you know, over time, you know, through the fossil history, we've seen that there's been like massive drops and massive inclines in terms of climate change. Same with quolls. Like Eastern quolls are probably my favorite animal, and I am, like, obsessive, compulsive, constantly looking at research being done about them. I'm some kind of, like, I'm like a quoll stan. It's really quiet. It's kind of creepy. I mean, I don't, anyway, um, they really are not doing well, and they are really tightly linked in terms of their population numbers and density to rainfall and, and climatic change, and they really do fluctuate quite a lot, um, and so they're not doing so well if we're talking about Eastern quolls, their numbers are lowest, the lowest they've been in 230 years. Um, and, you know, spotted tail quolls aren't doing any better. And devils are low, but also for a different reason, but for, you know, more the facial tumor kind of side of things. They're not doing well in terms of climate change. Uh, none of Tassie is. Tassie's really, it's a very special landscape, but it's changing a lot. It needs wet winters and it needs, you know, drier, hot summers. And we're just not getting that. Everything's kind of flipped around. Often a word that people don't like to use in science, but they should be using more is this the country is sick. Like uh, Tasmania especially is sick. The land is sick and it's really heartbreaking to see it kind of degrade and degrade more and more over time. Yeah, I think if we don't do something quick about climate change, we're gonna lose these 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 animals. Like so if devils and eastern quolls are only found in Tassie. Tasmania became a refuge and now their their last refuge isn't protecting them anymore. 
So yeah. we've really failed these animals. And we know so little about them. Like it would be devastating to lose them just because of, you know, how how iconic they are, but we just know so little about them. How can we lose them? Yeah. And we just, what a what a loss to the world. Huge kind of group of animals that, you know, just deserve so much more attention and, and funding thrown their way. Which is why we donated to UTAS and their efforts. So please save these little tassies. Okay, maybe one more question from patrons. Casey Handmar himself an Australian says that he is not qualified to say. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, bad. those are quite quality questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one more question. Okay, one more question. Kathleen Jones says that they Googled quals and immediately yelled, fuck off at my computer <laughs> at the top of my lungs. I want to kiss them, but also nibble gently on their ears, but also become a marsupial and force them to live in my pouch. So can I feed them the best snacks? Is that common? If you work on a qual, do they like you? No, they don't. don't. You don't want to feed them because they'll bite your face off, mm. Kathleen Jones. But So right? here's a really interesting thing. So Cats, domestic cats, are really bad ecologically. Like, they kill a lot of birds, they kill a lot of native rodents and stuff. So, Mena Jones, who is my goddamn idol, if anyone wants to look at Tassie Devil research, you just go to Google Scholar, type her name in, and you'll be in devil and core research for hours. She's incredible. Um, And also my supervisor. (laughs) So, anyway, (laughs) she's great. One of the reasons I wanted to work with her is she is just really, like, she's really passionate about making cats illegal in Tassie and swapping that over with Tassie urids. And so that, that oh. you know, we, we call quolls our native cats. So the natural kind of thing would to be to bring quolls into that equation and take cats out. But let me tell you, okay, so I would say I am for that because I don't like cats in our landscape. They are really, like, quite, you know, disastrous. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've, I've raised quolls before and they are great. Like when you have them as, from when they're babies and, you know, if you're with them every day, they do love on you and you can feed them. They love crickets. Their favorite food is crickets or like a little bit of peanut butter. They used to eat me and my dog's food and stuff. But the thing is, if you go away for even like a day and you come back, they're like, who the hell are you? And they try and kill you. And then it's another like three weeks of them being like, you have to be there all the time. They've got good hearts, but they have really bad memories. <laughs> so you, just, you just couldn't leave them alone. <laughs> so Qualls, pretty much like a cat with polka dots, but also will treat you like a stranger and chew your face off. So maybe we don't swap kitties for Qualls. I would almost be like more inclined to be like devils are the way to go if you if you know if if we if we wanted to go down that path of like getting rid of cats and putting in a native replacer. Quolls are incredible animals. I'm not saying go out there and get one and put it in your home. You'll want, you'll probably lose a hand. But <laughs> if we're talking about what's best for Tassie and what's best for Australia, it's to not have any more cats and to have more native animals around. And and devils are a lot more. You know, generally they're quite a lot more happy to be around humans um, than quolls are. They're not happy to be around humans, but they they, they do it more than than quolls do. Oh my gosh, is it legal to keep a Tasmanian devil? No, so like carers, you can get like a wildlife carer permit, and then if like a devil, like an imp comes in, that's what they call the baby devils are called imps. Oh, <laughs> um, so if, if an imp, imp comes in, you can raise it, but it's quite a specialized thing, and like they're quite hard to raise. Um, and the quolls that I've raised, it's hard, it's hard work, man. You got to have a lot of space, and you got to have a lot of time, and do nothing else. Before I moved to Oxford, we used to raise kangaroos and stuff. And our last kangaroo, Kara, she's great. I would carry her around in a pouch around the streets and stuff because she didn't like being alone. But 
you know, when she wanted milk, she'd just like rock her pouch on the door and just make a lot of noise and be real grumpy or like if I want to talk about things that make devil noises, look up what a kangaroo sounds like, like a eastern okay. grey kangaroo. Oh boy, here we go. <sighs> this is from a YouTube video called Kangaroo Sounds and Pictures for Teaching. And I just want you to know I looked and the top upvoted comment reads Sounds like me getting up from bed. <gasps> Because they sound like the devil. So, like, it sounds nice, like, having – it sounds, like, dreamy. Like, oh, wow, you raised a kangaroo, you raised quills. It's hard. It's hard. You don't sleep for days, weeks. Like, it's – and it's rewarding because they get to go back out where they belong. But, like, you know, that's also quite hard to say goodbye. It's like you spent so much time in. But it's good because you're doing something good for the environment. It's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and, you know, they don't really like you. (laughs) They're not not really going to come cuddle you. They're going to, like, look at you, like – when are you going to feed me crickets, bruv? <laughs> like, Jesus. And wherever you are out there, before you start painting a Tasmanian fern forest in your devil nursery or dreaming up an Instagram handle for your soon-to-be-famous wild pet influencer, maybe just, like, don't. I mean, I get it. I would love a house wombat, but I got to shatter your dreams here. I wouldn't be for, like, exporting devils across the world as pets, but I think locally, if we could you know, boost numbers in that way. It would be it would be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is. I mean, I'm gonna stick with a dog. Just <laughs> <laughs> literally so easy. Like that's fine. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. Yeah, yeah. As I as I record this, uh my dog is asleep on her back. Oh. Just spread eagle on her back. She's about the size of a of a qual. There are Maltese actually. She's like, Oh, oh my dog's a Maltese. He's sitting on my lap. He's oh. a he's a very smoochy little boy. He's looking at me like, oh. What are you doing? Why are you making so much noise? It's nine o'clock. Oh my God, <laughs> he's a very grumpy early. boy. Oh yeah, I think I'll stick to dogs. And okay, the worst thing about mm. what you do, the thing that sucks the most about mm. being a de- de- mm. wait, I'm as a urologist. Eight. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, now you go. You want to say it? Desi Ross. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I think the worst thing is that I haven't been able to actually do field because I've been working in Oxford. I've been like working with a really cool team, like working with like really cool tech to try and bring that over here. Um, but also like learn more statsy stuff to bring that back to Tassie as well with some really a really cool team in Oxford. So. The worst part has been for the last couple of years I haven't been able to do any field work or like see a devil because I've been in Oxford. Um, and that my work is now quite desk space, which is not what I got into ecology for. But that will change. But also I think the worst part is that like the worst part genuinely, that that's like the worst part for me selfishly. I haven't been able to get out there and see them, but the worst part is seeing them with the, the cancers. So if the cancer's so far along that they're starving to death, we put them down. And that is just the saddest thing. And like, even like, so for example, if a mum's teats are enlarged, we will send her back even if her tumor is so bad because we can't let her pups die. Yeah. So yeah. There's, it's an equal tie between putting them down or letting them back out if you know what their fate's going to be. That is truly, truly heartbreaking. Um, and it never gets easier. Like, it's just, oh my gosh, I'm thinking about it now, makes me want to cry because it's just like yeah. these pure, gentle babies that just, you know, through no fault of their own, have this horrible transmissible cancer. Also, it's quite horrible. It's, it smells bad. You, you know, you can you can tell when you have a devil with a facial tumor when you get it if you walk up to a trap because it just smells like really pussy and ganky. I don't know is that a word, mm. but yeah. Anyway, that's the worst. 
That's my new word. M's Genki Wanky Fact Corner. <laughs> oh my gosh. Amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> but oh my yeah, God. that's the hardest part. Oh, and then what about the best? What about just the thing that you love the most about your job? I think seeing them like after you have processed them. So after you have them on your lap and you're doing what you need to do with the quoll, the devil, seeing them run back to the bush. Uh, I remember the first time I ever saw someone like release a devil. She said, um, she's an incredible researcher. She said, go forth and prosper. And this little devil just like looked at her and then jumped into the bush. And I was like, what? This devil knows exactly what you're talking about. He's going to go and have a friend and mate now. Like, I guarantee you this devil's like on a mission now. It's very inspiring. They just leap and they, like, they just, and they just are gone in a second. Um, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the most incredible part is like, being able to be with them for this like short amount of time, it's such a privilege and an honor to be able to like be in their presence. It's almost like, it's like, it's like awe, it's so awe inspiring sitting with these animals and every individual one is so important. Like every single piece of data is so important for the future of these devils um, and quolls. So, you know, that's kind of the best part. And then also just like, like just, a lot of my job is out just like sitting and, you know, I go do work in that in the afternoon, I go sit on, you know, in the bush and drink a beer and just listen to devils <laughs> screaming around me. Like I, I, you can't not be so happy in those moments, right? Like, it's, like, it's really hard to be sad when, when you have, when you, that, that's your life. Yeah. Oh, and that's like the ultimate expression of, um, like, I hate to see you leave, but I love to see you go because they do have those bubble butts and it's just what a joy to watch them walk away. <laughs> yeah, it's like, whoa. <laughs> Take your cute little butt out of here. Yeah, shake the little, little oh. tail. Yeah. But oh that's my it. gosh. Yeah. Incredible. Anyway, thank you so much. It's, the been, best. it's been so nice. A great start to my Wednesday morning. I feel so oh happy. Oh my God. <laughs> and my Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> So ask smart, hilarious people really ridiculous questions about animals you may or may not have thought really exist because the facts are astounding and their laughs are contagious. So you can follow M. Dale on Twitter at carnivores at all. They also tweet about other great Tazzy scientists and are just an online joy in general. And there are links to the charities supported in the show notes and more links will be up at alleyward.com slash ologies slash dazzyurology. And we are at ologies on Twitter and Instagram. Please be friends with us there. I myself am at Allie Ward with one L on both. Say hi. Uh, ologies visors and hats and stickers and t-shirts, even bathing suits are available at ologiesmerch.com. Thank you, Bonnie Dutch and Shannon Feltis. They are two sisters who host the comedy podcast, You Are That, and they are hilarious and they help me manage merch. And thank you, Erin Talbert, who admins the very wonderful Ologies podcast Facebook group. Thank you, Emily White, who is a professional transcriber. You can email her at hireemilywhite at gmail.com in case you have transcription needs. And she heads up the Ologies transcription team. I see you all. I love you all. Uh, Transcripts as well as bleeped episodes for smallogites are up at alleyward.com slash ologies dash extras. Thank you, Caleb Patton, for bleeping. Thank you, Noelle Dilworth, for managing interview schedules. Assistant editor, Jarrett Sleeper of MindJam Media, who also hosts the mental health podcast, My Good Bad brain and co-parents our own 
grumpy, boofy bottom devil grummy. And of course, to the spots on our quals, Stephen Ray Morris, who stitches all the pieces together each week and also hosts his own podcast, The Purrcast and The Dino Podcast, See Jurassic Right. And there has never been a better time to check out his podcast, See Jurassic Right, because he's launching a back-to-school series. It starts on September 7th, and it features interviews with all kinds of paleo scientists about fossils and dinosaurs and awesome topics. So if you like ologies, find See Jurassic Right and subscribe ASAP to hear the trailer for Stephen Ray Morris's Back to School series starting September 7th. So that's SJR with SRM. Oh, yeah. Also, Nick Thorburn wrote and performed the theme music. And if you listen to the end of the show each week, you are rewarded with some sort of tidbit, some kind of secret. This week, here's a life hack. You know how sometimes you'll buy cucumbers, but you never end up eating them because you're like, I gotta cut them up and stuff. Okay, here's what I do. I just buy cucumbers and then I put the whole thing in the freezer and then you can lop it in half. Put that thing in a smoothie. Cucumbers and smoothies, they're great. Put them in there with some frozen berries, maybe a packet of like emergency done. I also like to throw in some green tea for flavor. There you go. Now you have a smoothie. Also, if you freeze a cucumber, you can um, slice it up and put it in your water like ice cubes. And then look who's drinking spa water out of an old Del Taco cup. You or me, maybe I'm talking about. Anyway, I hope you enjoy that. Put a bow in your hair. Google a quokka. Scream sing under your porch. It's a big, beautiful world out there. And be nice to each other. Okay. Until next week. Bye-bye. Pachydermatology. Homeology. Cryptozoology. Lithology. Nanotechnology. Meteorology. Bust out the Tim Tams, the Anzac Bickies, keep nine in the loop with some TikToks. Hop, hop, hooray! Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.